0: Welcome back to the Metric Stack Podcast, Season 3. Today's guest is Greg Boyd. He's the VP of Customer Excellence at Uvaro, a company that helps people transition into careers in tech sales through subscription-based education and networking programs. In his role, Greg is responsible for the end-to-end revenue generation and retention strategy for the business. Today, we're going to chat with Greg about how he and his team have moved the needle on customer ROI first – At Exonify and now at Uvaro. My name is Alan Villa, and I'm joined today by my co-host Lauren Thibodeau. Greg, a big welcome to the show.
1: Great to be here. Thank you for having me. It's gonna be fun.
2: Super glad to be talking to you today, Greg. And before we get into too many details, could you just define how you think about customer ROI?
1: Sure. I think ROI, so return on investment. You can be academic about it. And I think quite simply the way I always have thought about it is some sort of data-supported return on investment. You spent $100, you got at least $100 back, so you have the data to back up and can show that you've driven a return on that initial investment. That's easy. But the way I've always thought about it is combining that with the feeling of value that your customer gets, some alignment that that value has achieved a benefit for them that ties back to the reason that they bought your product or service in the first place. So it does need to go a step further. You can show all the metrics you want, straight data, but you need to go a level deeper and understand, okay, what's behind those metrics and how do you surface the, the metrics that maybe they aren't talking to you about? That'll help you really ensure that that feeling of return on investment is embedded.
0: Now, this isn't the first kick at the can uh, for this metric. And I know you've moved the needle uh, on past companies for customer ROI. Uh, wh- why did you pick this one uh, particular? Why did you pick this one to talk about today? Yeah, so return
1: on investments always came down to this word of value. And a question when I got into any customer-facing role. So I started in a, in a sales role at a, an education tech company. And it was always about value, value, value. And then when I started on the customer side at Exonify, similarly, it was value, value, value. And what I learned really quickly was I would have lots of customers that would be happy to talk to me. I think I'm a nice guy. We're having a great conversation today. And happy doesn't drive renewal and it doesn't drive a deal. There needs to be a return. And when I got really embedded on the customer side at Exonify, we started to see that happiness does not equal value. And so understanding what is the driver of the return is what's going to be the driver of the growth that's going to come. And when you're looking at the return on investment metric, a great way to look at whether they're getting value is, are they growing? Which means I'm not just pushing to the return on investment, but I'm looking to make that return on investment as high as possible. So I have an infinite top. I can just keep growing and growing and growing and uh, an expression that i was able to take in coin is customers are like trees if they're not growing they're dead we need to be seeing that growth happening all the time and the best way to signal is a customer getting value is that they're growing with you and so that return on investment is a baseline did we get to even but can we just grow that uh, that question of value over time
0: I really I like the the full stop on the customer happiness does not equate to, to value. And and it just as you were saying that, I was like having these horrific flashbacks to sort of startup days where, you know, you talk to anybody that will listen to you and you go away and you go back to your co-founders and, and you come back and say, Yeah, they really they really liked what we had and they were so happy. And you know, they don't buy. You'd, right, you know, nothing happens, but you've had a lot of happy conversations, right? So, I think that's a really important lesson, not only for startups to sort of really look at value and that growth equation. So, um, yeah, I'll, I'll sort of uh, get back to that that more happy place. The the startup years were pretty, pretty, pretty brutal, right? So, well,
1: and yeah, they are for they are for anyone, and I think it applies for new business sales, and it does. We talk about it as happy years on the new business side, exactly. And on the re- renewal side, it's the question that we would always just strive to answer for ourselves: is why isn't the customer going to renew? Let's talk about the reasons why they won't, and and work backwards from there. Not to be negative, but just to make sure we're focused on the right things
0: and are the yeah. Good. I mean, it, and and that it helps just be prepared for any kind of objections, right? And feed that back into the product teams. So I think that's that's great advice. Look at the look at the reverse. Yeah, absolutely.
2: Yeah. And I love this focus on value. And I know we've talked about this uh, a number of times. Customers value different things, uh, sometimes at different times, but they value different things from products. Um, And I'm wondering, in your experience, you know, Gartner calls out four. And I'm wondering kind of in your world, uh, which of the four, you know, maybe you focused on the most when looking at customer ROI, mentioned growth. But what about, you know, helping customers either increase their revenue, That's one way Gartner says, you know, you can show value. Customers increase revenue. Customers are decreasing their expenses. uh, They're increasing compliance with something, regulations, or they're reducing risk of something happening. And in your world so far, have you been dealing with all four? Is there one in particular that stands out? I love, I love the
1: question and thank you for that too. I think that's a great way to summarize and encapsulate that idea of value because it value is kind of like using the word culture, trying to fix culture. We're trying to drive value. So I think it is a good way to just uh, encapsulate the question, the, what, what I found in particular. So going back to the time that, that I was building out our program at Exonify with the team, value is unique to each customer. When we started this process, what is return on investment? Well, this client's paying us 100,000. So let's find 100,000 in value in their terms. And then you go to another client and maybe you know, 800,000 in their terms. And each of those customers, when we started that process, had a different interpretation of value, which hit each of those four dynamics. Over time, though, we were able to start to see patterns, and that's where things really became powerful for us is we started to see, let's take our retail bucket of customers. We can say retail customers really value the, the product for their, its ability to first drive revenue growth. Our, it's a learning and development product at Exonify. We can train our people better, enable them to speak to customers better. That's gonna grow revenue for us. Over here on warehousing and distribution, customers that are using us in their, in their uh, warehouse facilities, we can reduce injuries and compliance-based claims. So that's a reduction in expense or a reduction in risk. As we started to organize, then we've started to build these value frameworks based on customer segments. And we could go from having individual value-based conversations with each customer to say, what's the value? What's the value? What are we trying to get to? To coming in and being consultative with a customer and saying, hey, other customers like you typically use our product to achieve this kind of benefit. How does that match to your expectations? And it changed the whole tone of the conversation in a sales discussion or in a customer success or retention conversation, because now we know what the value is based on experiences with other customers. We can consult with you and drive toward value. And even better, we can use a framework for how we stack our metrics on top of each other to show you how you're going to get there.
0: I think that's great. I think that the idea of using this framework and, and measuring it and segmenting it, you know, it just it puts some clarity behind, you know, how you're going to approach this problem and and how every other customer is going to look at it slightly differently, but then as you said, there are patterns. So let's let's dive into a bit of the nitty gritty. Um, you know, I think everybody's curious how how did you go about moving the needle on this metric, and you know, what was the time frame? You know, tell us a little bit about that story.
1: Yeah. So first, if you're looking through the lens of customer value as a starting point, the metric that you might start with is, hey, we're looking to improve ROI for any one given customer. Over time, when we could export that to our whole customer base, we were able to move just our our gross retention across the business and reducing churn, and we grew gross retention from 75 to over 90 percent over just a number of a number of years, and That was by bringing this value orientation in our conversations to customers. How we did that was establishing this, we called it a value realization frame. And that framework took the metrics, the usage metrics from our product that we were obsessed with and focused on. And we were then able to build and stack the metrics on top of each other to say, here's the most basic way a customer like you uses our product. So logins and answering questions in the case of Exonify. At Clipfolio, it's, did they turn it on? Did they plug us into a data source? The next level up from that is, do we see growth in knowledge? Do we see content getting loaded? Again, at Clipfolio, you might have something like, are we uh, building other reports? Are we building more sophisticated reports? Are we using some of the advanced tooling? Those are your usage metrics that are at the bottom of that frame. Then you get to the harder to get metrics from the customers, but these were things like: Did we see behavior change as a result of that knowledge? Did the desired action move at all? And in in this case, this might be using uh, this might be if you were getting trained on safe lifting practices. Am I still doing that? Are there fewer incidents or more incidents of safe lifting practices? And then the top level is the uh, reduction in incidents themselves. So payout. To uh, in, in terms of claims. At Clipfolio, it might be, hey, we kicked out all of our other BI tools because this is the tool and we got to a, a point of value. It might be we fundraised because we had the right reporting we can share that to investors readily, right? But it's a path mm-hmm. and you don't get to the top of the value realization frame without starting at the bottom. It's got to grow. And in order to implement this approach, we just needed a visual that We could show to any customer, this is how we're going to take you there. And we use that visual across the team. Say, If you just do one thing this year with your team or with your customers, it build out this value realization frame. I don't care how many meetings you have. You should probably have at least four a year, QBRs. But you should at least build out this, this visual. And then we started sharing them. Internally, we posted them at town halls, we showed them to our customers in our decks, we would anonymize it and show it in a sales process. And so just using those that that one visual became a really powerful tool to get the team focused on one thing, the metrics, uh, and organizing those in, in a way for our customers. And it unified the customer on this one or the company on this one thing that we needed to be emphasizing and focused on and that's what we're doing
0: now at Uvaro for our customers. So so Greg just so that I'm clear because this is super cool and I like the I like the again the framework this ladder where you're you're continually upping the maturity level and you're not only sharing this framework internally with your teams at the company in the sales organization or the uh, outreach organization you're also sharing this philosophy and these touch points in this this almost customer education with the customers. Exactly. Yeah. So it
1: was it became this way to say, as we had more experience with this as a frame, we started with a, a hypothesis that we bring to customers. But then as we started to get it validated, that's where we could take a complete framework and show it to a brand new customer. Say this is where you're going to be in a year. Mm-hmm. I just want to anchor on the right value points. This is the kind of adoption we need. Mm-hmm. This is the kind of not or content we need loaded, et cetera, et cetera. And we could just
0: map it out for them. And yeah, we can it's, yeah, it's a beautiful That's alignment awesome. tool, right? We're in this together. We're going to help you get yeah. to these points. We're going to be successful. You're going to be successful. So very cool.
2: Very cool. Can you just recap the rungs on that ladder or the levels in that framework? Usage was number one. And what's, what were the others?
1: So you're going to start with looking at just the basic level of usage. That's level one metrics. We just call them now, You've our level one metrics. You, are they logging in? Are they using the product? Level two, we just call it advanced use. So what are the things that are showing us they're not just logging in, but they're doing something inside your tool that are inside your systems. Level three, we're now switching to the customer side. What are we seeing change, activities or actions change on the customer environment as a result of using the product? Typically you have to ask for those. Uh, It won't just show up in your product. And then the fourth is the actual, that's your return on investment. Level four metric is your ROI. That's your value. And so many customers say, hey, our, our," or so many companies, sorry, say, our customers get a ton of value out of our product. Look how much they use it. No company ever bought a product to use it. They (laughs) they bought it to achieve an outcome. So being able to demonstrate that the use is driving that, that outcome is key. And there was a question that that was in there, how do you get the insight back from the customer on on their behavior change? If you start by framing, this is what I'll be looking for in our conversations. It's a verbal contract right at the beginning to say, I will be asking you for this sort of information. We're in this together. You give me information, I give you information. It's hard to catch later. That was something that we learned is if you embed it sooner, it's very successful uh, and you can have these data driven conversations because the customer doesn't feel like they're being drilled or asked for this personal information. They they see you as a member of their team. They understand the context of why you're asking for it.
0: Yeah, I, I love the spirit of that contract. I think that's great. So, you, you moved. I think earlier you said you moved your your gross retention number from seventy by about twenty points up to like almost ninety, uh, which is great. Um, now, obviously, any kind of change like this, you know, there's there's people, there's there's processes, there's you know, product or technology issues. You know, so walk us through how did you how did you navigate this change, this positive change uh, in in getting there.
1: The 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 process for us started with getting one of these value stories. So we we constructed a, a visual model of what this frame looked like. We, we had a number of takes at it, but we constructed a visual of what this would look like. And we started presenting it to some of our customers that we felt that we had delivered that value for. And once we started to get one or two points of validation, our exercise was to take those visuals, and, as I mentioned before, just start to share those and publicize it. What that led to is people started to ask, "Well, oh, wow, that's a powerful story. Look at we a customer signed off on this. They said that they achieved value. We'd say, well they they sure did that the sales team would grab it and they would put it into the put it into a deck anonymized uh, and the the uh, marketing team started to catch wind of it. And I said, well, how can we incorporate this into some of our materials, these stories, into some from a team perspective, operationally? It became something that we would talk about. And uh, in leading the team, what I would do is I'd say, okay, every week I want to see one new completed value realization frame. Complete meant that I put it together, but you get bonus points if you complete, complete it and share it with a customer. And the habit of doing that felt awkward at first to walk through, but we would do internal. internally. I'm a big fan of sitting down and coaching each other as a team. So we would go through the exercise of walking through the frame. So it became less awkward because the first time you do it, it's a bit uncomfortable, but get comfortable with it walking through that framework. Once you had that, almost 100% of the time, when you'd walk through that with a the customer, they go, wow, that was really helpful. Thank you. And once, a, once that validation came just one time, there was no, no other coaching needed. It would just be something that would get taken and used.
2: Yeah, that's fantastic. And you just shared a number of really great nuggets of what to replicate if others are looking to do this. That's fantastic. What about the flip side? Did you try any experiments that bombed on you? Did you try some things that just didn't work out? What did I you would learn? Just,
1: <laughs> it's, it's a, it's a, the type of thing that in hindsight sounds pretty pretty good. the biggest learnings for us tactically, so for anyone who hears this and says, "Okay, that's interesting. I'd love to try it. Uh, a, feel free to reach out uh, for for sure, but I would say that the number one and it seems like the simplest thing, but it's getting the visual right. Mm-hmm. There were so many awkward and clunky visuals that were tough to edit and update, uh, and that was such a simple place to start, and we needed to get we needed to get the first thing was to get in front of a customer but if you're going to get other people to replicate it i have reams of powerpoint slides with m- like misaligned font and awkward editing and it just wasn't done quite right
0: you mean so you, you mean just to... just the process just the the framework yeah. the visual the 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 filling it in keep it super simple kind of stuff
1: keep it super simple don't overcomplicate your visuals don't make it too fancy just get something out in front of a customer that like you know, should have an arrow, should point to the top, something like that, <laughs> up and to the right. But that—that's about as much guidance as you need. Greg,
0: if, keep, that, if, that your, if that was your—if that was your <laughs> biggest pitfall, like I, either you're hiding something, you know, or or everybody should be implementing this framework.
1: It, it is true, everyone should be the. But the other thing that that I will say that was more complicated. I, I, I did say that was the that was the softball, that was the easy one. So I do have a <laughs> the the tough the tougher second one was something we talked about before we got started recording, which was this idea that often a customer buys and then you have this conversation with them that, oh, I understand this is what you're trying to achieve. And, well, I never said that. That's not why I bought the product. And we're into conversations where we're trying to catch afterward and build a framework with the customer that, well, actually we don't understand what they're looking for. And perhaps there's misalignment in what they're looking for from the product or service entirely. Mm -hmm. And what the value realization frame does in a in a customer deal that isn't a good fit is it makes it explicit really quickly,
0: mm-hmm.
1: so you need to be able to adapt so the learning there was this was great for value aligned customers to drive them to value, but it became very uncomfortable when you had a misaligned customer
0: so can that can that misalignment also happen when you know the the dreaded email that the salesperson gets or the account manager gets and you know this person is no, your champion is no longer at the company. <laughs> you yeah. you number one. Yeah. Number one sure and reason. Yeah. One, <laughs> yeah. Totally. Totally. Like the guy or girl who loved your stuff is just not there anymore. They're not going to be championing it around the, the table. Right. So does this framework help with quick value realignment and making sure that you get back on track?
1: 100%. It, it really does because so often, a new champion or leader is going to look at the tools in the table. It depends on where you stack. If you're a high, high-ranking budget item, you're going to get a call pretty quick. If you're lower on the list, that call will come. One day it will come, but it's just a matter of how, how quickly it shows up. And the question that I got so often was, what did we buy you for? And without this summary, that's a tough question to answer mm-hmm. because you need a one-liner that's pretty clear. Mm -hmm. You don't, there's no usage metrics that you can pull that's going to be an answer to that question from your product. Your answer needs to focus very clearly on the customer, their business, and and what's important to them. And the second question that would come if they weren't satisfied with the first answer, which is, well, it was to improve this sale, it was to decrease this risk. Uh, If they weren't impressed with that answer because it wasn't important to them, the next would be, well, how are other customers using you? What else can you do for me? Mm -hmm. And this is where that frame becomes very powerful again, because, well, other customers like you get value in this way. That's not important. Well, how about this way? Well, how about this way? I've got at least four or five different tricks in my bag based on the different frameworks and templates that we have, because value is unique in some ways to each customer. What that return on investment is, is in some ways, but once you start to, pull it out it it's just really going to be four or five different things ultimately and so if you have those templates built you at least can be armed for the conversation won't save the day but that was key for us was figuring out that well why isn't a rep using that in their sales conversation well they're worried about alignment Mm -hmm. and value Mm -hmm. can we really deliver well that that's maybe not that's maybe a good that's maybe a good sign same for the this customer success rep and what what moved the needle in the biggest way for for me uh, and for the company that was exciting was being able to take that frame and bringing it forward to marketing to product into mm-hmm. our sales organization and i started in the a role as a customer success leader but moved into driving a whole go to market strategy because we had a customer segment that was high-performing, and we wanted to replicate that success and turn a flywheel and build momentum. And so being able to use that ROI data from a successful customer segment to actually build a go-to-market strategy and define what you should be talking about in the sales process was the eventual outcome, but it was it was the result of some hard lessons along the way. And that was the biggest failing was, trying to embed it and seeing it hit some friction, it's not the tool, it's, it's a value problem. Mm.
2: And if you had to pinpoint kind of the hardest part, the biggest obstacle to moving the needle on that, what, what would that have been, do you say, Greg?
1: The, the important thing, I think, as, as I'm sure both of you know, is any rep who's driving a, a process is going to be very reluctant to introduce something that could shine a light on the fact that maybe there's a misalignment in value and any rep is going to be reluctant to bring, bring something in that's new or untested.
2: Got it. Uh, so getting sales to adopt it. Cause we're talking sales, you know, sales led, not product led, you know, large enterprise customers, not a PLG motion and, and, you know, SMB. Okay. Yeah.
1: And, and, I think you're, the hardest part of it was sticking to this as the approach over time mm-hmm. and getting the buy-in from sales leadership to align on this as an approach. Because once they see it work, they'll be bought in just the same way as a customer
0: success team would be. Well, and it seems like that's exactly what you're proving. You know, like it, it is always that behavioral change. People are always the, the most challenging element of yeah. that mix. Uh, but once you can prove that, hey, it, it brings alignment way up front you de-risk things, you know, you find the true value so that as a sales or success rep, you can actually have more meaningful conversations. Yeah. That success should breed confidence in the, in the process. Totally. So, Uh, so what's, so what's, so what's next? Um, I mean, there's, you've done a lot of thinking on this framework, you know, how would you, how would you continue to evolve it? So I
1: think we're, where I've become most confident in it is having conversations with other sales leaders, CS leaders at a number of SaaS organizations who've thought about adopting and have taken the the motion to up, to adopt this and just got a message from a uh, another peer who uh, I consulted with at some point uh, a couple of years ago, and they disclosed their largest upsell ever. Uh, and seeing and, and having that as some validation is, is exciting to know that that's a framework that Is exportable to other organizations. For me personally, it's taking that framework and now we're embedding it in our organization at UVaro. And I think it's building out not just the customer side of value, so the layers of adoption on the customer side, but we're building out that sort of bow tie go to market motion and being able to layer stage by stage the metrics. For success at each stage of the process and integrating what value will look like at the far right side of the bow tie to what the conversations will look like at the far left side of the bow tie is what I'm working on right now. And I'm excited to report back in a a year from now and see (laughs) see what our what our success has been, because often it's it's been initiated on the customer side where you have that data, but I'm I'm convicted that we can use our prospect side to build that into the, the DNA of the sales process right from the get-go.
2: Yeah, I love that. You've got this two-way flow, right? What's the ROI, pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, work backwards, and then you've got from very, very beginning usage working the other way. Super cool. Um, any last words of advice for others looking to move the needle on a key metric, Greg?
1: Yeah, I think I would just sum it up with, with saying that I think not all customer usage metrics are created equal. So this idea that this idea that focusing and being fixated on how customers are using your product is not going to point you to value. So if you want to be successful, you need to stop focusing on your usage metrics. You need to start thinking about how those metrics can be organized and stacked on this path to value. And that's going to mean getting some feedback from your customers about how they attach to that return on investment and true value. And the second would be what we talked about in the latter part of this conversation, for anyone who's in a customer success or customer leadership role, using those customer metrics to drive your selling strategy, driving your marketing strategy, your product strategy in your organization. I wanna encourage you to do that uh, To for customer success leaders to look at usage and value realization metrics as a path to drive go to market. And similarly, for marketing and sales leaders to look into where the flywheel is turning in the customer base, make sure you're taking
0: that insight into your selling conversations. Greg, uh, thank you so much, uh, everybody. Greg Boyd, uh, VP Customer Excellence at Uvaro. Uh, this has been truly fantastic. I think the thing that really got me was, like, understand the value that your customers are trying to achieve. Like, that is, that's, it's such a fundamental lesson and then, of course, measure it. Greg, thanks again. It's been, been great. Awesome. Thanks for having me.
2: Thank you. If you enjoyed today's conversation about metrics and data, be sure to check out Metric HQ, our online resource for the metrics that matter most to you and your business.